So at the end of today's teaching, I'm still going to ask for you know those who are who are just joining us for the first time, um, so you know introduce themselves and say hi to everyone. But so let's go on quickly. Last week we started um, the conversation around the circumcision of the heart, and please again, if you weren't around last week, please get the um, the recording on our podcast channel. Our podcast channel is I'm sending the link right away. Um, so all our previous, all our previous um, sessions can be accessed via the podcast channel. So last week we started the conversation around the circumcision of the heart, and what that simply means is a heart that is yielded to God, a heart that no longer has, um, puts its confidence in anything external or material. You know, as the amplified version says, we, we don't trust in any physical advantage anymore, you know, and um, last week I just gave an example of, you know, someone say who has a wealthy, uh, who has wealthy parents or a wealthy uncle or a wealthy relation somewhere. And then that's, that's, that person, let's say the parent now, the parents can become a, a pillar or a crutch in the person's life where the person no longer trusts God. Absolutely. He, by, in theory, he trusts God. But in practice, he eventually just leans towards his parents because they have the will to do. All right. So that is that is um, someone who, whose heart isn't yet circumcised. But a circumcised heart basically says, yes, there may be all these options, but I'll still wait for wait for God. Yes, in my, I may have all these qualifications and advantages, but I submit all of them um, to the lordship and to the leadership of Christ. So when we say a circumcised heart, we're referring to the heart that has made God its only source. Okay, so let's start with our key text, um, our anchor text for this study. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Please, as we go on, if you have any question, please do well to um, just jot it down. We'll take questions at the end. Um, or you can send me privately if you if the question is confidential. All right, so Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. I'm reading King James Version. It says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So last week we established that there are three characteristics of those who are circumcised in their hearts. Number one, it says that we worship God in the Spirit. Worshiping God in the spirit means we are not waiting for an external um, event to spur you up to worship. You are worshiping God from the place of your spirit so that there's nothing external, whether positive or negative, that can stop you from worshiping God. So no, no addition or subtraction to your life can interfere with your worship of God. That's the person who worships God in the spirit. All right. The second characteristic is that the rejo and rejoice in Christ Jesus. All right. When it says rejoice in Christ Jesus, um, other versions say boast in Christ Jesus. And that reminds us of the text we read in Jeremiah last week that says, if any man should boast, he should only boast in the fact that he knows God. So nothing, nothing fiscally should be a reason for us to boast. So the fact that you have the biggest house or you have the, the latest car or you have the... Um, Whatever it is, you have the biggest business or the best job is not a foundation for boasting. The only reason why we boast is in Christ Jesus, all right? So we boast in Christ Jesus. 
And then the third characteristic is, is this. He says, and have no confidence in the flesh. When you read the Amplified Version, it goes further to explain that not flesh there doesn't just mean in your physical abilities alone, but also in any other thing that could be an advantage to you. And when we read down the um, subsequent verses, we see that Paul was saying this from a place of experience because Paul had several things that could be an advantage to him. Number one, he was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And I explained last week that the tribe of Benjamin was where the first king um, of Israel came from. So it was a bragging rights for them. Um, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees represented the one of the highest um, ruling bodies in at that time, both religiously and um, politically. And what else? Again, he was he was is he was zealous for things of God, even to the point of, of crucifying um, sorry, killing Christians, I beg your pardon, um, tormenting them and torturing them. So Paul had all these things, but yet Paul says all of these things, right? I no longer consider to be an advantage um, to me because I have come into Christ. So the circumcised heart ensures that there is no reliance on any physical advantage anymore. Okay? Um, so verse 4 says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, um, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if, another, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. So Paul was saying, if anybody has a reason to trust in the flesh, I have a lot more. And then I'll just read through his um, his CV, you know. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So Paul went for that, like I mentioned earlier, to list all his um, achievements and advantages in the flesh. But then he said in verse 7 that all these things that were reasons to brag and to be boastful, I count them right now as lost compared to knowing Christ. So for you and I, we may not um, fit this exact context in terms of being a Pharisee, Pharisee, a Jew, and all of that. But when we look at it closely, we'll see that a lot of what Paul addressed we have very similar things within our society right now. The fact that Paul was a Pharisee meant that he was, he had, for you to, so based on what Bible history um, teaches us, for you to be a Pharisee means that you must have known how to quote the law of Moses verbatim. That you must be so studious enough that you know the law of Moses, all right? That's cover to cover. And Paul was, was taught by Gamaliel, who was a renowned um, Pharisee and a renowned um, rabbi at that time. So it was almost like saying you were taught under, I mean, just think of, think of a, any mathematical genius. Okay, think of Albert Einstein. Imagine you were taught under Albert Einstein. Your LinkedIn CV will have, you don't need to write too much on your LinkedIn CV. You just need to write um, student of Einstein. That's the end. And you have jobs from all across the world. So those kind of cred, um, accreditation was exactly what Paul had. And in all, in all human sense, they were sufficient to make boast of. There were enough things to rely on, you know. So imagine if you're going to apply for a job. You might not even necessarily, you might not need to prepare for it. You just need to, you just, you just need to send your CV and say, I was taught by Einstein, direct student of Albert Einstein. And that's the end. Even NASA will offer you a job. You know, that kind of confidence was what Paul had um, before meeting Christ. 
But when he came to Christ, he says, right now, I count all those things as lost compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. Um, however, like I said last week, when we say you are counting everything as lost compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ, we are not saying you don't, you totally ignore everything you learned and everything you um, that you have as an advantage. You just throw it aside. What we are saying is you take those things that, that are advantages to you and bring them in sub, on, under submission of Christ. Meaning you will not use those things that are advantages to you unless they are governed by Christ. And a good example is still Paul that we're making reference to. One of the reasons why Paul is very instrumental to, um, to, the, to the growth of Christianity, right? To the spread of Christianity and, and um, worldwide is that Paul, because Paul was a lawyer, he was studious and he, was, he had in intelligence, mental prowess. God could use that mental prowess um, to bring some kind of revelation. And when you read the book of Romans and Hebrews, you see that Paul had a very legal mind in presenting some facts and truths about um, the gospel of God, about the, the kingdom of God, and about the work that Christ did. So God used that used Paul's um, mental abilities for his kingdom. So what we are saying here is that we are not saying you dump your certificate or you dump your skill or you discard your family. No, we are saying everything that you think is an advantage to you, take it and present it before Christ so that Christ governs how you use those things. And like I said last week, for instance, if somebody is a, is a popular um, musician, secular musician in the world, singing all kind of you know rubbish songs, for instance, and then the person now comes to Christ, we're not saying the person shouldn't sing for God. We're saying let the person take that his vocal ability and submit it to Christ then let Christ decide whether the person will sing or not, and then let Christ decide how the person will sing. So that's exactly what we're saying. So you having a circumcised heart means everything that is an advantage to you, you take it to God and make it sub bring it in submission to Christ, and then God will determine how he wants to use those gifts that he has, um, he has given to you, all right? Okay, so that's the introduction. Today, I want us to look at something um keenly i want us to look at i want us to look at the fact that um i mean i want us so so as i don't know about you maybe maybe you know some of maybe you have just dropped from heaven like that straight up so you might have been walking perfectly before god from bed but you know for some of us it took us a while and it is still we're still in the process of submitting to god daily so i want us to look at that process that journey of how someone moves from being independent of God to fully depending on God, you know, that process of saying how, I mean, someone comes and says, oh, no, I figure it out. I have my 10-year plan. I have my five-year plan. I know where I want to be, everything. And then move from that place of self-confidence to a place where you are, you are dependent on God. And there are just some things that you may not even have figured out because God hasn't spoken about them yet, or God hasn't revealed his will for, for that particular area. So I want us to look at how God transitions us from that point A to point B. So from a place of independence to a place of total dependence on him. Praise God. But first of all, let's read Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to verse 14. Please, someone should read for us if you are there. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, verse 9 to verse 14. Um, if you're in the WhatsApp group, I sent this earlier, I think yesterday. Um, or day for us today, um, for us to you know read. So please read for us if you are there. Luke chapter eighteen, 
verse 9 to 14. Anyone, anyone? Oh, go on there. Okay. From verse 9 to 14, right? Yes, yes. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and did not to, and did not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Praise God. Thank you so much, Dara. So Jesus Christ told a parable here and he painted two scenarios. And, and why I want us to read, um, look at this before we go on is to see that a lot of times we've, we have fallen under the category of the Pharisee. So there are two guys. One was the Pharisee. And like I said earlier, a Pharisee represented a, a high ruler in the society as a den. One for he was a religious religious ruler, and secondly, he was um, a political ruler. And then the nature of the Pharisees was that they boasted and they prided themselves in the fact that they knew the law. So, in fact, Jesus Christ referred to them the custodians of knowledge in, in those days. And um, so the Pharisees were really were really proud of their knowledge of of the law of, of Moses, you know, which was the available if we were to call a Bible in that time, then it should have just comprised of the laws of Moses and the prophets and all of that. So this Pharisee went to pray to God and he, he was praying to God, all right? But the content of his prayer shows the heart from which he prayed. And let me just say something quickly, right? That our prayer is only as effective as the heart that sponsors the prayer. Your prayer is not effective because you prayed for five hours. No, that's not what makes prayer effective. It is good, but that is not what makes prayer effective. Prayer is only as effective as the disposition of the heart that offers the prayer. So if, if this, so for instance, the Pharisee now was praying, and then he came before God and says, first of all, God, I am, you know, almost like saying, God, you know, I'm here again, you know, but just in case you forgot my credential, I'm not like the other person that is trying to pray. So you, you need to give me first class attention. Um, just in case you don't know, I fast twice a week. I give you my tithes. I do this, I do that, and do all of this. And all he presented before God was the result of his own fiscal action. And he did that as a basis for, for God to listen to him. But we all know that when you come before God, God doesn't listen to you because you, I mean, I think about it, fasting is good, right? Very good. Pain of tight is very good. Um, giving to the poor is very good. Everything that the Pharisee mentioned, right, was excellent. But he placed his confidence in those things rather than placing his confidence in God. And um, this is very true for us as believers. It is possible for us to pride in the fact that I speak in tongues now. So, I mean, what else? When, so, when you go to God, you, and you know, the, the, the tricky part is that nobody sees your heart, only God. So, we, we all can be in a prayer meeting and we pray, but God is only listening to, to maybe two people out of the rest of us. Right, because of the disposition of our hearts. So somebody could be praying from a 
from a place of pride, saying, I mean, who is this person praying? I, I've been 25 years as a Christian. I know, I know what is happening right now. When I pray in tongues, my tongues is deep, is deep. And then it could be that it could that that could be a foundation for pride. And in comparison to the to the tax collector who just came before God and says, God, I'm a sinner. You know, in other words, I don't have anything of my own that can qualify me to stand before you right now. And the Bible says at the end of the day, the tax collector was justified. So it is possible for us to put our confidence in religious activities rather than in God himself. And in my story, my you know, last, last week I shared my, my own story of how I wanted to work, with, work at Chevron and then how everything you know, didn't play out at all. And then um, the day I was, I was praying to God, the, when he spoke to me from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, he explained it to my heart this way. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He says, and lean not on your own understanding. He now said, including your understanding of scriptures. And what, why that was so instruct, instructive for me was because all the while I was leaning on my understanding of how God was going to interpret my um, answer my prayer. I was leaning on my own understanding of scriptures. And God said, you are leaning on your understanding of scriptures, not relying on me. And I had to repent from that. So it's possible for believers to rely on religious activities and boast on them rather than having their confidence in God. So I just wanted to us to point to point that out. And the Bible says in um, Psalm 51 verse 17, let me read that very quickly. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. So the sacrifice that God actually wants is a broken, a broken um, spirit. A broken spirit here means a spirit that has let go of anything that it's, it's placing at its foundation and is now submitted to God. So that broken spirit, the Bible says that a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise. So every time we go to God with a submissive heart, God cannot reject a submissive heart. In fact, let me tell you how, how the extent to, it's almost like, it's almost like saying God has one weakness. Mm? Pardon my, I may not be putting it in the most accurate terminologies, but pardon my, my, my terms right now. It's almost like saying God has one weakness. And the only weakness is that anybody that comes to God and bows down and submits himself to God, God cannot reject that person. If you read the book of 2 Kings, I mean, we all have heard of Jezebel, right? And most of us must have heard of her, her husband, um, Ahab, Ahab. Ahab was a very... Ahab and Jezebel were the worst combination of, of couple ever. They, they did everything that was evil before God. In fact, to the point that anybody who is misbehaving right now, is, any lady who is misbehaving, would typically be referred to as the daughter of Je Jezebel. That's how terrible that those couples were. But when God came to, God sent um, Elisha to speak to Ahab and tell him that this is what is going to happen and judgment is going to come upon you, and so what, I'm, not, I'm not sure it was Elisha, but God sent a prophet to bring judgment to the house of Ahab. The Bible says that Ahab went and he went to the temple of God to pray and he, he, he was sat close and submitted, submitted and humbled himself before God. The Bible says that God, God spoke to the prophet and said, do you see how Ahab has submitted himself before me? Because of this thing he has done, I will not bring this punishment in his time. I will fast forward it, I will postpone it and bring it in the time of his children. Even though Ahab was a wicked king, but because he submitted himself to God, 
right? God changed the terms of the punishment. So what I'm saying is how much more you that you are a child of God, you are a son and you're a daughter of God. Every time you come before God in submission, there is no way God will reject you. Praise Jesus. So let me give you a secret to prayer. Always approach prayer from a place of submission before God. Always come to God submitted. And when we read in verse, um, Luke chapter 18, verse 14 says, the last part of verse 14 says, and he that, for everyone that exalts himself will be abased, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. So just take note of that. Um, humility before God is super, super important. So we're going to come to that, all right? Okay, so having said that, let's proceed. So how does God now take us from a place of independence to a place of dependence on him? So again, we're going to look at our, back to our case study, Abraham. We looked at Abraham last week, and we're going to go back to see something about Abraham's journey and how this is very instructive to us as Christians. So let us go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, um, we're going to read verse 2 to 4. Genesis chapter 12. Anyone there can read for us? Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to verse 4. All right, let me read. It says, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where, he, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar which he, which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So again, please, if you're not with us last week, please go and listen to last week's um, session. It's really, 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 really insightful. And then, so this session just builds on that. So like we saw last week, Abraham, after, you know, having his own schemes and, and planning his own agenda, and his agenda failed, so he had to go back to where um, the last place he stopped with God, right? And it so happens that where Abraham stopped with God was between Bethel and Ai. And like I said last week, all of us are on a journey with God. The day you feel like, oh, this journey, this journey is too, is too tiresome, I want to follow my own, my own shortcuts, and you take your own shortcut, God wouldn't... God won't be angry. He'll just stay there. The day you realize your mistake and your own plans fail, you have to go back to the last place you stopped with God, and then God will continue the journey with you because God doesn't move. We're the ones that you, God doesn't um, God doesn't change. He doesn't change his course. We're the ones that could divert, and that's exactly what happened to Abraham. So after Abraham had tried his own gimmicks to lie to the king of Egypt about Sarah, his wife, and then all of that, all of that happened. Eventually, he had to return back to where he was with God. And where was he with God? Verse 3 says, he was between Bethel and Ai. Now, what does this mean? What does Bethel represent and what does Ai represent? Now, Bethel represents, Bethel is, Bethel means a, the house of God, right? That's the meaning of Bethel. Ai means a, a heap of ruins or a heap of stones. That's what Ai means. So, Abraham was in between the house of God and the heap of stones. That suggests to us that he was, he was on a journey and God he was in a transition process, right? And what does this mean? Um, based on the little understanding we know about construction, you know that we know that if a, if a builder wants to use a particular, wants to use stones to build a house, 
I mean, in these days, we might we don't get to see a lot of houses being built with stones. We rather see houses built, being built with blocks. But if you if you have seen a house that is built with stones, you will see that every stone has to be shaped in a particular manner so that it can fit the building of the house. So the, the builder chisels the stone, or if it's a rock, breaks the rock, cuts it in a particular shape before using it to build the house. However, a heap of stones, on the other hand, doesn't need any anything to be done to it. You, you, if you need to keep a stone, or if you need to, to create a heap of stones, you just need to pour the stones on each other in 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 any any manner, and then you've got you have a heap. But the person that builds a house cannot heap the, the stones and a house will just show up. No, he has to cut the stones in a particular way, arrange them in a particular manner so that he eventually gets a house. Now, taking that analogy, Abraham was in between a, the heap of stones and the house of God. What this means for us as believers is this. Um, let us read. Let us read 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Before I come back to my explanation, 1 um, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So God lets us know that we are his temple, meaning we are the house of God. Okay? Now, individually, we are the house of God, right? So you as a person, you are the house of God. God lives inside of you. I am, a, I am the house of God. God lives inside of me individually. However, aside the fact that we are individually the house of God, collectively, we are also the house of God. Do you get what I mean? So individually, yes, God dwells in you as a person, but collectively, God dwells in us as the body of Christ. Now, when it comes to building the body of Christ, right? We In that building, we, we are all representing stones, in that building, okay? And I'm, I'm going to show you this from scripture. And for God to use us as stones, then the same way a builder would need to shape the stone to fit what he has in his heart, is the same way God will have to shape us to fit what he has in his heart so that he can build us together as the body of Christ. Does that make sense? All right, so let's read. Um, let us read First Peter. Let us read first, um, first Peter chapter 2, verse 5. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If you get there before me, please feel free to read. First Peter chapter 2. Where's my Peter? Where's my Peter? First Peter 2, verse 5. Someone should please read for us. Anyone there should please read for us. Okay, first Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Yes, and please. you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this scripture says, we are God's, say, so King James says it this way, we are lively stones or we are living stones. So aside the fact that as an individual, right, you are the house of God, Yet, collectively, as the body of Christ, we are the house of God collectively. In that collective um, context, we represent stones. Each of us represents stones. And that's what Peter was talking about. He says, you are living stones. 
and he says, built up a spiritual house, right? Or, or like Habashon says, a spiritual temple or God's temple. Meaning that what God is doing with each and every one of us is to shape in our lives as stones so that we can fit accurately into the building that he's erecting, okay? And like, they, like a physical builder, you will not just use any stone, right? You have to shape in the stone to fit um, the particular building you are erecting. So when we come to Christ, we are just like the stone that the builder picks up from, from the ground. We are just, you know, shapeless. When we come to Christ, we, are, we have different things going on. We are, we are shaped. We have our attitudes. We have our mannerisms. We have our habits. We have just so many things going on in our lives. And God is fine with that. God doesn't reject anybody that comes to him. He accepts us the way we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. So what he does is that he takes us and like a master builder, he begins to chisel, chisel, chisel and cut things off. And it is this process of chiseling that is not very pleasant. So disclaimer, the chiseling process is not a sweet process. However, it is the only way we can adequately fit into the building that God is erecting. All right. So we are lively stones. Now back to Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham comes in between Bethel and Ai. Now with the understanding we have, and let Abraham represent, a lot, Abraham represents a lot of us as Christians. We are in between the house of God and a pile of stones. Many we, we are in that transition process from being, from being just a pile of stones to becoming a house of God, okay? We're in the process of transition where God has taken us from the pile of stones and he's now shaping us so that we can adequately fit into um, the house that he is building. Now, that process is what I want us to look at, all right? And um, that process of, so let, let, me just, let me just read what I wrote in my notes here. The process of moving from independence to dependence on God is like journeying from Ai to Bethel. Remember, Ai means a, a heap of stones. Bethel means the house of God. And that process is what we refer to as dealings. Okay, so God's dealings is what we call, refer to um, as that process. The process where God changes us from just a pile of stones to a, pile, a heap of stones to becoming the house of God. That process is what we call dealings. When God deals with an individual, all right, so that the individual can now fit accurately into the house of God. So um, I said here that the difference between a pile of stone, a pile of rings or a pile of stones and a house is that the stones in a pile are disorganized and randomly placed on each other, while the stones used in a house are first carefully cut and shaped before intelligently placed on one another. Before God can effectively use us in building his house, he would have to first shape us in what, in, into what he desires us to be. And I said here that the process is not funny. So what I've been saying so far is that that process of God converting us from just a heap of stones to a to the house of God is a is a process that might not be funny on our flesh. I mean, somebody may have come to Christ, and before the person came to Christ, the person loved eating. I I mean, three meals a day was that he eats five times, like back to back, as long as as long as as long as there's anything called spare time, there's food in his mouth. And the person just loves food. I know people have, have very nice ways of putting, of, of describing things that feed the human flesh. 
So they could just say, oh, it's just my love for food. I, I love exploring delicacies. I love just checking out restaurants. Meanwhile, what is, from God's definition, this person is just a, a food addict. And when the person now comes to Christ, what God does is that God begins to deal with that person in that area of food because God knows that if he, that person is not dealt with, there's no way the person will become um, a stone in the house of God. So the first thing God probably will do is to set that person on fast, on a fasting fasting adventure and tell the person you're going to fast twice a week. And the person is like, oh my God, I've never, I haven't fasted in the last, in the last two years. And God says, I know, but right now you're going to fast twice a week. And initially it is like a killing, it is like death. But then the person gradually continues fasting. And that process of fasting brings the person under the authority of God and shapes the person's character to fit that of Christ. And it is when that character is shaped that God can now sufficiently use the person, right? So another person may come to Christ and the person just loves, before he came to Christ, the person doesn't use to budget, he doesn't use to plan his money, he doesn't use to, what's his own, he doesn't take record about anything financial, he just spends money anyhow, money come, money go. I mean, he, according to him, money will almost come. And you know, like we say it in Nigeria here, um, I cannot come and kill myself. That's what he keeps, keeps saying. And he just keeps spending money like that. And then when he now comes to God, God begins to deal with him and says, the moment you receive your salary, don't touch it. The only thing I want you to do is to pay tight. And for the next one week, don't spend money from that salary. And the person is looking at maybe one latest device that comes out, or he's looking at a very nice shoe on the internet, and God says, don't buy it. And the person feels like, like killing myself. You know, the Bible says that we should present ourselves as living sacrifices before God. Have you ever wondered what it means to be a living sacrifice? Like someone rightly puts, the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice is this. If someone takes a, a goat, for instance, to sacrifice it, once you kill the goat, the goat doesn't have any option. He's already dead. He can't do anything about it. But a living sacrifice still has the option of coming down the altar. And yet God says we should present ourselves so nobody will drag us to the altar. We will carry ourselves to the altar very much alive, meaning very much aware of the option of coming down the altar just in case the fire is too much. And many times when we come to Christ and God is dealing with us in certain areas, we feel that fire, that intensity. And quite frankly, we almost are considering, you know, jumping down the altar. We'll just tell God, God, this is too, or too, too much for me. I will be a Christian, though, but, you know, all this is asking me to do, I won't do it. All right. But God begins to deal with us. He deals with us in the areas that are in the areas that our will has not yet been submitted to him. And let me say this also very important that the area that God will deal with you in will most likely be different from the area that he will deal with me in. So, for instance, I personally, I, I mean, I don't like eating food a lot. So God might not deal with me in regards of food, but he might deal with me in another area. For someone, he might deal with the person in the area of watching movies. In fact, talking about this, I just remember that when I entered um, when I entered university, for the first three years, from my first year to my third year, I know God dealt with me on watching movies. So I probably did not watch more than 10 movies in those three years. I could count all the movies I watched on my, on my, on my hand, you know, because God was dealing with me in that area. So for you, it may be something else. For someone else, it may be that you talk too much. Any small thing, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, your mouth is already running. They ask one question, and you're giving gist that doesn't concern the question or not the person you're talking to. 
God will start dealing with, dealing with you in that area. And the way he will deal with you is then, he'll put you in a circumstance where you have the opportunity to exhibit your preference. But in that circumstance, he will tell you to keep quiet or he'll tell you not to act. And then in the, on, in the, on your inside, you'll feel like exploding. But every time you kill the flesh, right, your spirit grows. Every time you kill the flesh, your spirit grows. So the more you kill the flesh and you submit to God's dealings, then the more you continue to grow in that area. So that process of moving from a heap of ruins to become the, the house of God is what is called dealings. And let me say this, that every single person that becomes great in the hands of God, right, has to be dealt with. God has to deal with, I mean, when I say, when I say deal with dealings now, don't, it's not, it's not in, the, in the human context when, when I tell somebody I'll deal with you. No, 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 not in that kind of context. Um, in God's context, that's what I mean. Everybody that is used of God has to go through the dealings of God. If God doesn't deal with a person, God can never use the person. Yes, the person can be a Christian, but will never be instrumental in the hands of God if the person has never gone through the dealings of God. All right? So let me share one. Um, before we move on, let me share a story, personal story. So, you know, after I finish... After I finished university, so while I was in university, right, um, I had I have an uncle here in Lagos, and he allowed me, accommodated me in his house. His house was very comfortable. I had a room to myself. Um, he normally would give me money, money every morning before he goes out. I wasn't paying any bill. I wasn't cooking. I was doing very little work. So I was really comfortable in the house. But when I finished school, God began to impress my heart to, to move from there to another place, right? To go and stay with someone else. Now, where I was going to stay, right? Where God was telling me to go to was not wasn't as comfortable as where I was living, right? Wasn't as comfortable as my uncle's house. Um, where I was going to was just was just a two-bedroom apartment that had maybe we were we were probably, aside the owner of the house, we were probably five other people in the same house. And then we we're all sharing one room. And then there are many nights where I had to sleep on the floor because um, we we're accommodating guests. And then I was I didn't just have my privacy, but yet God was telling me to move there. It was a difficult conversation decision for me. But then I told God, if that's where He's leading me to go, then I'll gladly go and you know I'll, I'll move them. But when I moved right and I stayed there, I can tell you in retrospect right now that if I did not go there, I would have missed so many, many, many things in my life and destiny that I'm benefiting from right now. Because when I stayed there, I, I grew enormously, right? My, my capacity, my internal capacity expanded. God taught me a lot in that place. And while it was not comfortable in my flesh, I learned a lot, a whole lot. And one major thing that I know God dealt with me during that period was on hospitality. Now, before that period, I love my personal space. In fact, back in school, you can't come and sit down on my bed. What are you doing on my bed? Lila, you can't. I will just drive you away. So I wasn't, and I didn't know that I wasn't very hospitable, okay? But when I left my comfort zone to this new place, God killed every, you know, me, I love my personal space. When I moved there, where, which personal space? There was, there was nothing like personal space, you know? And, and God had to kill that, that craving to always have my space and have my space. Now, this doesn't mean having a personal space is bad. No. But God wanted me to submit my desire for my, my, you know, my personal space and then also to open me up 
to um, hospitality. So I learned that there. So that for me was a dealing that God was taking me through. All right. Aside that, in that same place, I mean, during that same period also, I learned the necessity for discernment because I, I mean, by the grace of God, I have a good heart. I just love people. When God comes to me and say, oh, I have a problem, I'll just open my heart to you immediately. But I needed to learn that discernment must accompany integrity. And so I learned that discernment there. So that for me was a season of dealing where God, where, where God dealt with me, right? Now, for you, it may be a different story, all right? And if you look, think of your life right now in retrospect, you probably would remember certain periods of your life where God was dealing with you in order to furnish a character that was in the likeness of Christ. So that is what is referred to as dealings, okay? All right, so I want us to now proceed and see what, um, what these dealings entail. Okay, but let's read some scriptures. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Please, I hope you guys are following me. If you are, um, please give a thumbs up or just drop something in the chat. Let me know you are following me. If you're following me, just give a thumbs up or wave your hand or drop something in the, in the chat. Okay, good. Okay, okay, awesome. Thumbs up, thumbs up. All right. All right, all right, great. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's read First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. All right, let me read. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Praise Jesus. So this is a very interesting verse of scripture. Because first it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If you read verse, um, if you read verse 5, it talks about being in subject to one another, being clothed with humility because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then now goes on to say, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God because in due season God will lift you up. That process of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God occurs when God is dealing with you. And there are people who have rejected the dealings of God, you know. And again, because God doesn't force anyone to do anything, he would not, obviously not force you to submit to his will. But there are people that have rejected the dealings of God. So they refuse to, God, it was like God, the hand of God was upon them, but they, they waved the hand off and said, well, I'll do whatever I want to do. So for instance, let's say um, God is dealing with somebody regards finances, okay, like the example I gave earlier on, and this person doesn't plan his money, any, any, he's just an impulsive spender, right? And every time salary comes or any money comes his, into his account, he just spend, he spends it almost immediately, and he's, he doesn't budget, and God is dealing with him as regards financing, probably because God wants this person to be a kingdom financer or to be a kingdom steward um, for God, for him, right? But then this person can now decide and says, so let's assume money comes and God says, after you pay your tithe, don't spend this money for the next two weeks. Only spend on your feeding and your transportation. And then this person has been looking at one particular shoe that just came out. Probably Adidas just released one nice sneakers and he has been, has been eyeing this shoe for a long time. And then the money comes and God says, don't spend any money for the next two weeks aside your feeding and transportation. And the person is like, oh my God, 
Then all of a sudden, the store that sells the sneakers now says, oh, uh, we really have three of these sneakers left in our store. Hurry now and buy. And then this guy says, man, God, you know what? This is your deal. Let's continue next week. But these sneakers, I cannot let it pass me. And then the person now goes ahead to buy the sneakers. That person did not submit himself under the hand of God, all right? And without verse, verse 6 says, says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So there are times when the hand of God is upon us, you know, refraining or, or instructing or directing us in a particular way to go. But some people may ignore that hand of God. But the Bible says it is important we submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God. For some of you, God is dealing with you on, on, with anger, um, on your anger issues. And then part of his dealings is that that's your colleague in the office that always annoys you. The next time the colleague annoys you, don't say anything. And then on Monday, you resume office and this, your colleague, gives it to you fire for fire. This, your colleague, just flips it on you and embarrasses you in the presence of everybody. At that moment, you, you have the, you know, you are very sharp with your mouth. So you have all the answers to, to water down this colleague. But God is not, in, in that moment, God is telling you, no, don't talk, don't talk. But you are telling God, if I don't talk, everybody looking at me would think I'm a fool. And God is saying, yes, but still don't talk. And it's almost like you want to explode. When you submit yourself under the hand of God, you keep quiet. And it will, let me just tell you this upfront: you will not like it. Your flesh will not like it at all. You will go back feeling cheated. You go back feeling like you should have just said only two sentences would have silenced this person. But God will say, keep quiet. But it, and it is important we submit under the hand of God. Reason is that in due season, God will lift us up. So when you submit your hand under, yourself under the hand of God, God has a way of elevating you, right, regardless of whatever opposition is going on. Okay. Um, so that is the dealings of God. I was going to read. Now we have a lot to cover. I'm just thinking where to read and where not to read. Okay, so I'll just quote this, right? Please read it on your own. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to verse 11. Very, very powerful. And it talks about the, the um, chastisement of God, the correction of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. It talks about the correction of God. And it says there that, that anybody that God does not correct is like a bastard child. Or in other words, is like an illegitimate child. What this means is that the one of the proofs of being the sons of God, you know, we, we like quoting the verse that says, everyone that is led by God is the son of God. Um, um, the world waits for the manifestation of the sons of God and all of that. But one of the real proof and evident evidence is that you were children of God, that we are sons of God, is the fact that we, we are disciplined by God. And the scripture says, sorry, I have to read it now. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just, I'll just read a couple of verses. Um, verse 5 says, okay, now let me go to verse, verse 6. says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Meaning the person that God actually loves, that is the person that God corrects, God disciplines, and God, God deals with, you know. And it says, um, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, then God deals with you as sons. Meaning that if you submit yourself under the hand of God, then God begins to deal with you as a son. So one of the evidences of maturity in God's kingdom is the ability to submit yourself to the dealings of God. Is the ability to submit yourself to yourself to the to the correction of God. And anyone, okay, let me finish the verse. Verse seven says, 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. This is the Bible. So it says that if you if you are without discipline, you know, you look at some Christians, and you, I mean, they are Christians, so quite all right, but you know that there's no there's no discipline in their life. There's no, you look at the pattern of their life, and there's nothing consistent with God's discipline. And the Bible says that if you are without such discipline, of which everybody is a partaker of, meaning every genuine child of God should be a partaker of discipline. However, if you decide to abscond discipline and exempt yourself from it, then the Bible says that you are a bastard and you are not a genuine son. So what that, I know it's, it's a strong word, right? And someone is like, hey, is this in the scripture? Yes, it's in the Bible. What that simply means is that you are an illegitimate child. So an illegitimate child is means that the child was, yes, born by the parents, but the child has de decided to, to, or has refused the correction and the, and the um, um, governorship of the parents. And that's exactly how a lot of Christians are, very sadly. That a lot of Christians have rejected the discipline of God, and then they're just living their life carelessly. And that is, there is, see, that person cannot be used by God for God's end-time agenda. It is impossible. So if we're going to grow up into maturity, then we must submit ourselves to be discipled and disciplined by God. That is the process of moving from a pile of ruins to become the house of God. And let me tell you this, look for anybody, whether it's a pastor or a, a businessman or anybody doing anything anything significant for God, right? not a word person, I'm saying for God, go and ask the person his, for his story. That person will tell you that he went through different seasons of discipline, where God dis disciplined him in areas of, of lust, God disciplined him in areas of finances, in areas of his anger, in different areas, all right? So the Bible says that there's no genuine son that is without chastisement, all right? Okay, so let me just read through what I wrote here, and I'll just we'll look at the story of Joseph quickly, and then we're done for today. So I said here that God's dealings refer to experiences that a believer might go through that God uses to correct flaws in the believer's soul. So the experiences we go through, right, that God allows these experiences in order to correct a certain defect in our soul. In fact, for me, one of the experiences I went through was, was that somebody, you know, I just randomly opened my heart to somebody without, without, in, without praying about it. And this person stabbed me very deep. Ah, after the person stabbed me deep, I learned my lesson that discernment, you might have a good heart though, but not everybody has a good heart like you. So coupled with your good heart, add discernment to it. So some experiences we go through, right, is God, allow, God allows them so that we can, he can correct certain things in our, in our soul. It's like adjusting the, you know, tuning your radio, you know, all these old radios, tuning the radio so that it can meet a particular frequency. That's the way God will allow us to go through circumstances so that he can fine tune us so that our frequency is now in alignment with him. All right. So I said here that God's dealings would be most prominent in the areas where your will is most in control. Let me take that again. God's dealings in your life will be most prominent in the areas of your life where your will is most in control. So for you, have you ever heard somebody saying something like, um, so let's assume the person is a very, gets angry very easily and flares up quickly. 
and you're trying to talk to a person about anger issues, and person say, and that's all the way I am now. It's not my fault. For my family, we they vex, you know, those kind of things. I mean, in English, that means in my family we just get angry. Is is a is a trait. When when that person comes to Christ, the God's dealings will be strong in that area of anger. Okay, if the, if for someone the person is given to lust, when the person comes to God, God's dealings will be strong in that area of lust. All right. So number one, God's dealings are prominent, most prominent in the areas where your will, where your flesh is in control. Okay. Then number two, God's dealings are usually also prominent in the areas that God intends using you in. Let me take that again. God's dealings are also prominent in the areas where God intends using you in. So for instance, right, let's say um, God intends using somebody in um, financially. Let's say God intends using someone to finance his kingdom. When God begins to deal with the person, the dealings will be so strange, but it will be around the areas of finances. So maybe God will tell the person, every money, every money you receive, save, save 60% of your income. And you are wondering, God, how am I going to survive if I save, save 60%? And God says, yes, save 60%. And the person goes to gist with his friend. And the friend says, no, yeah, I just saved 20%. And the person wants to go back and say, God, but, you know, my friend is only saving 20%. You know, me, I can, okay, let's, let's negotiate. Let me do 30%. And God says, no, save 60%. It is most likely that God intends using that person in the area of finances. So God is teaching the person and dealing with the person, you know, along those lines so that the person can become instrumental and useful in the hands of God later. So one of the reasons why God deals with us in specific areas is because he intends using us in those areas. All right. Um, for the case of, of Paul, for instance, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, the Bible lets us know that this was Paul speaking that because of the abundance of knowledge given to him, to prevent him from being proud, God allowed a thorn in his flesh. And three times he prayed about it and God responded and said, my grace is sufficient for you. What that means was that God knew that if you leave Paul with the depth of revelation that Paul had, if you leave Paul alone, Paul will be a very proud man. Imagine, Paul said that he was caught up into heaven 14 years ago as at when he wrote that letter. He was caught up in heaven and he saw things that were not lawful for people to talk about. Meaning that if a human being had a conversation about those things, it was prohibited. Imagine that depth of revelation. Paul would have been a very proud man. And so because of that, God allowed a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what a thorn is, but God allowed it to keep him um, under submission and to make him a humble person. So God's dealings will be prominent in the areas that he intends using you in as well. Okay. Okay, so lastly, I said here that you are only as useful to God's agenda to the degree to which you have submitted to the dealings of God. So you are only useful to God's agenda to the degree to which you have submitted to the dealings of God. And let me say this again. As many of us, and I believe every one of us here, desire to move into maturity and to grow into maturity with God. You must submit yourself to the dealings of God. There are times when God will tell you, okay, 5 a.m. every day, wake up and pray. God might tell you, I want you to fast every particular period. You know, I want you to do, to give this amount of money out. Or I want you to do this and do that. And every other person may, may not be doing it, but that is God's unique dealings with you. If you are going to grow into maturity and into the anointing of God, then you must submit yourself to the dealings of God. 
All right. So lastly, let's look at a case study, Joseph. Just two scriptures we'll read, and I'll show you how, how Joseph transitioned from point A to point B, okay? So Genesis chapter 37, verse 8. Um, to really understand the story, I, I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 37, 39, 40, and, you know, down like that. So Genesis chapter 37, all right? Genesis chapter 37, are we there? And verse, okay, verse 8. So before I read verse 8, let me just give background story, right? Um, Joseph was born in Jacob's old age, and then Jacob loved Joseph so well, he gave him a coat of many colors. Already, um, Joseph was being envied by his brothers because of favoritism. His parents just loved him above the other brothers. So like every normal, every human instinct, the brothers envied Joseph and they were angry with him, okay? But that in itself was a problem. But then Joseph also now compounded the problems in, in some ways. So I want us to read verse 8. No, no, no. Let's read from verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. This is Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Verse 6, and he said, oh, so, so, so. So he told, had a dream, oh, and he told them, okay, so verse 7 says, for behold, no, verse 6, and he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheep stood round about and made, made obeisance to my sheep, to my sheep. So think about this. Joseph already knew that his brothers hated him. But with his big mouth, he went to now say, oh, you guys, I had a dream. Oh, if you should come, gather. He called all of them and said, come and hear my dream. And what was the dream about? That they were all gathering sheep, you know, and all their sheep stood up and Joseph's sheep was in the middle and their sheep bowed down to him. I mean, even you think about it, it's even as a Christian, self, you begin to wonder, like, uh -uh, in your body, will be like, Kilo share, Bobo, yeah, what is this guy talking about? But Joseph was, was you know, that, that he had that naivety and he still shared his dream all the same. Now, look at verse 8, where I'm going through. And his brother said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. For his dream and for his words, okay, meaning that they, um, these guys, these guys hated Joseph one for his dream, but not just for his dream alone, but for for his words, meaning the way he spoke. If you read from the NLT, it says that they hated him for his dream and also for the way that he spoke. That means that Joseph must have spoken about his dream in an arrogant manner, in a way saying, you know, you guys, I dreamt to see all of you are in the future are going to be bowing down to me. So there was this, there was this um, teenage pride in him, right? That he might have not known it, but it was there nonetheless. And that was something that God was, was going to have to deal with if he was going to use Joseph eventually. Now, like we most of us know the story, um, Joseph went through several experiences, Potiphar's house, brothers selling him off, and all of that. Fast forward to several years ahead, okay, and go to chapter 50. Of Genesis, uh, of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse um, from verse 18. 
So remember, Joseph had this, Joseph, first of all, was, was naive. Secondly, he had um, this teenage pride and confidence. And in fact, the second dream he had was that his father and his mother bowed to him. And he had the guts to still go and share that dream, even knowing that his brothers were angry. I mean, that is, that to me is just the height of insensitivity and pride. But look at what had transpired at the end of the day. So Genesis chapter 50, verse 18. And we're going to close with this. And his brethren also went. So by this time, Joseph had become king. His brethren, you know, had come to Egypt. He had revealed himself and all of that had transpired. So verse 18 says, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Let me, let me explain what's going on here. Uh, eventually, Joseph's dream actually came to pass. But you notice that the disposition of hearts as at when it came to pass was totally different from the disposition of hearts that Joseph had when he initially had the dream. You get that? So when the brothers eventually bowed to him, the first thing Joseph said was, no, no, you push stand up, you stand up. Am I in the place of God? This is a contrast as to when Joseph had the dream. When he had the dream the first time, he was proud telling the brothers and says, one day all of you will bow down to me. It was a thing of pride for him. But when it eventually happened, God had dealt with him on several layers, okay? And when it eventually happened, Joseph said, see, you should come down. I'm not in the place of God. Then secondly, verse 20 says, Joseph now explained to them that you people meant it for evil, but God meant it for good because he sent me ahead to save lives. This revelation of the fact that Joseph was sent ahead to save lives, Joseph did not know this as at when he had the dream. When he had the dream, he just thought, you guys will bow down to me and I'm going to feel good and all of you will be under me. That was what Joseph had in his mind. But when it eventually happened, because God had dealt with Joseph through the whole process, Joseph now knew that the purpose of me being a leader wasn't just to feel good about, about people bowing down to me, but rather is to bring, is to, uh, is the fact that God sent me ahead to save lives. So that transition from, from being a proud person to realizing the intention of God for Joseph's elevation, that process, right, happened because Joseph went through dealings, okay? Different dealings that changed the, 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 the state of Joseph's heart that um, adjusted his character to fit that of Christ, um, that of, of Christ or that of God, okay? And um, so, yeah, Joseph came to realize that. So what I'm, my, my point here is that every time God intends to use us, every time we come to God as sons, God will take us through dealings so that we can move from a pile of, of stones to becoming the, the house of God. So you might look in your life right now, and maybe some of you are, are currently going through the dealings of God. My encouragement to you is don't give up and don't, don't reject the dealings of God, okay? And um, if you're not going through the dealings of God right now, whenever the time comes when God begins to deal with you in certain areas, for some of you, it's, it's, it's about trusting in God. You might have a plan all figured out and God says, don't do, do, don't do this plan or don't do this. You might have something well laid out and you have all the means to execute your plan. But then God says, don't do it. And then you are wondering why I have the money, I have the correct connections, I have the approval, I have every single thing. But God is saying, don't do it. 
stay under the dealings of God. Let God exalt you in due course, all right? It is this process of dealings that make us mature um, children of God. Praise Jesus. So lastly, I said here that there is no way Joseph would have learned administration and government and then humility if he was still in his father's house. So God allowed Joseph to be sold in slavery so that that, I mean, his father's house, he was the most, he was the, he was pampered. There's no way Joseph would have become mature enough to lead a nation if he was still being pampered by his father. So God had to take him through a series of dealings that would prepare him in many, many ways to lead nations and to eventually save lives. Praise God. All right. So we're going to end here. I hope you got a thing or two. Um, this is the time to take, to ask questions, please. We'll just do that in, uh, say, five minutes or thereabouts. Anyone with a question that you want to ask regarding what we have shared today? A, probably a personal question or you just want to clarify one or two things? Um, sorry. Hello. Good evening. Hi, evening, Tosin. Yeah, um, so I just want to ask. Um, yeah. So in a situation now, you feel the character is good. Like, let's say you are a patient somebody or let's say okay you feel you're patient but then is it that would you um is there a situation where you say that okay god basically tests um, that limit per se to say okay like will god test um will, will god give you a test basically like to show that okay can you undo this particular situation to know if you're really patient or not i don't know how to phrase the question per se but or, is in that line, like, would God choose, um, like, work on your patience to try to build it more? Because you, you as a person, I might say, okay, I know I'm very patient and uh, nothing can get on my nerves and all. So would God try to work on that to show you that, okay, this is not your limits, that there are certain things that can break your patience? Or is it that God will just show you, like, just work on this or God will then um, give you the test to... Show you that okay. okay, you can this can go beyond your, your limit basically. I'm okay. trying to break it down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. So, first of all, God knows your limits, He doesn't. So, if He gives you a test, it's not because He's trying to find out your limits, He knows He knows your capacity, okay. And that's why the Bible says, Um, He won't bring allow us to go through a temptation that is beyond what we can bear. So, that means God, because He's sovereign, He knows your limits. However, just like you rightly said towards the end of your, your, your question, that when God takes us through things, it's for us to strengthen a particular area of our life. So for you, let me use the example of patience that you use. For somebody right now, the person may say, oh, I'm patient, I'm a patient person, or I'm a calm person. And that may be, that is your own estimation of yourself. But God knows that, you know, man, this guy, he's not as patient as he thinks he is. Though. So what we're going to do, first of all, is, let us bring a situation that will reveal the fact that he's not so patient, then we can begin to work on it, okay? So most times, God takes us through situations that will reveal our weaknesses to us. Then when our, weaknesses has been, when our weakness has been revealed to us, then we now come to God and say, ah, God, oh, alas, I'm not as patient as I thought, so help me. And then God begins to help us from then on, okay? Um, I remember when, so when I was dating, when I started dating my wife, I, I used to think that I'd be very, kind, patient guy, very calm person, until I started dating. And I now found out that, oh, more, I still need to work on a lot of things. 
a lot of things in my own life. And that is the beauty of human relationships, right? One of the things good friendship will do to you is that true friends, by, by your interaction with friends, it will reveal your own character flaws. Because left to you, you are the, you are the most generous person. You are a giver. But when you come into friendship with people, right, God will now reveal to you that you are actually stingy in some areas, okay? So that's just an example. But yes, God would take us through, through things that will reveal our weaknesses so that he can help us build um, build and strengthen them. I hope that answers your question, Tosin. Okay, great, great. All right. You're welcome. So any other question? One more person question before we go. Think, think, think. Any question? I mean, if it's a personal question and a private question, you can just send me a private chat and um, you know I can answer it um, now or later, or you can send me on WhatsApp. Okay, so no question. All right, quickly before we go, last thing I think before we go. Um, what have you learned today? Yes, two people just tell us one thing you learned today that you are going back with um, in this week. One thing you've learned today that you're going back with. Anyone? Anyone wants to share? What did you learn today that really struck your heart and you're going back with it? I know we learned something, just, I'm sure we're waiting for the first to talk. Please feel free to go ahead. Anything, anything you learned today, yep. Okay, should I? Hi, okay. everyone. Hi, Dara, go ahead. Okay, so basically I, had, I learned that for you to be able to grow, hmm. You have to <laughs> be ready, you know, to undergo the dealings of God. And to be honest, I think there's so many things that you said today that were um, confirmations for me. In fact, even the illustrations, I was just laughing like, hey, God, do. In fact, I, I don't even have to explain it. Just because it's just my own personal experience. Especially that when you mentioned personal space, the way I just reacted, like, God. <laughs> Because this is something that, <laughs> in fact, I got a warning about it, like, uh, from my mom and things like this. I was like, hey, you know, but I I, I really, really um, resonated with so many things you said. If, it's true. If you actually want to grow and move to, like, another level, <laughs> you have to be subjected and subject yourself to the dealings of God. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your um, light bulb moment. Okay, anyone else? One person before we go. Just one thing you learned today. You know, please feel free to share. You might actually even explain it in a, explain it in a better way than I did, and someone else might benefit from it. So don't feel it is repetition. Just what one thing you learned today that you want to share. Anyone? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um. Hmm. Okay, can I call? Hello. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Hello. Yes, we can hear you, but can you be louder? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> um, praise God. Um, what I learned today was concerning the season process. Concerning um, what? 
It's like building process. Okay, building process. process. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, chiseling, chiseling now, like refining, like refining the stone, the stone process, like you mentioned earlier. The chiseling process, okay, building process. Mm -hmm. um, I learned that the building process is, is not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun at all. It's, it's most likely going to be tough. And, and that's okay. And we have to go through this process to get used by God be used by God and and like she like she said when you mentioned the personal space personal space um honestly I got uncomfortable when you mentioned it honestly like I was like oh, are you going I just got uncomfortable hearing it I was like all alone and and and, I, and to be honest I'll be honest talking from 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 a flesh point of view it sounds difficult and, and can you talk about it was, was kind of encouraging that I can't I can go through it too I can't whatever it is God wants me to learn I can unlearn and learn and yeah, that was encouraging that was very okay so, yeah okay thank you thank you so much uh, although your voice was cracked was faint at some point but what he said was the process, I mean, he mentioned the building process that he learned about that. And for some reason, the thing about personal space, um, again, came up. And um, so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Oluwa Tsumiche says, uh, she learned that God's instructions for you might not be the same for the next person. So you can't follow other people's steps because they are all, they are doing well at, at it. Our individual callings are different and the approaches to fulfill purpose too are also different. Very correct. Thank you so much. All right, so we are going to wrap up right now. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us um, today for Bible study. Please, we would meet again next week. And um, by next week, we would wrap up the conversation on circumcision of heart. I just really feel that it's a very strong topic. And if we go into the depth of it, we'll see that a lot of times we have been ignorant to the dealings of God. But yeah, so I think it's a very sensitive topic and important one as well. So next week, we'll continue. Please invite someone with you when you come next week. And um, um, it's the same link and the same, the same time. All right, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for instructing us, for encouraging us, for correcting us um, in the path of righteousness. Father, we ask that you, um, as we go on you know, from this teaching forward, we receive the grace from you to submit to your dealings. Like the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Help us to humble ourselves under your hand, that whatever areas that you are dealing with us in, um, that we would submit to that period of dealing so that Christ will be formed in us. Thank you, Father. Let us have testimonies of maturity and growth in the name of Jesus. To you all the praise and all the glory. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful night or day, depending on what time you are. Have a wonderful time. See you next week. God bless you. Bye.
Bye, everyone. Thank you. You're welcome.